Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, being left on red is that feeling when you send a text, you send a message, you know it was read, but yet you wait. It's like... Why won't they respond? Why won't God respond? Last night, uh, I started talking to my son. I was sitting on one couch. He was sitting on the other. He was on his laptop, and I just began sharing, you know, kind of how good my day was, and after about two minutes, I wasn't getting anything. And I looked over at him, and before I pull out the dad, what's wrong with you? I noticed that he had, you know, the noise-canceling earphones in, and it's like all that, you know how you just build up with anger, and then you go, oh, that's it. And then you remember, oh, yeah, I do that all the time, too. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you see yourself in your son. Being left on red is that feeling when you have put yourself out there, and then God seems Silent. I want to catch you up on all that God has to say to us in this tiny book called Habakkuk. We, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at chapter one. Last week, we looked at chapter two. And then today, we're going to finish up in chapter three. But I want to catch you up in case you've missed out. Habakkuk is a prophet, and things are not going great uh, where he is. The, the, the people are a mess, the economy is a mess, the government is a mess, and it seems like God is just not there. And so what we have in chapter one is Habakkuk's first complaint and God's first response, and then in chapter one, we get Habakkuk's second complaint. Quickly, let me catch you up in uh, Habakkuk. Uh, look in, in chapter one. In fact, you don't have to turn there with me. I'm going to read it real quick. But, but let me ask you if this sounds familiar. Here is Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, verse two, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. We've talked a lot these last two weeks that that, that complaint to God, that cry out to God, is no different than what many of us would be crying out to God about today. We can just insert that in, and that is our cry, and then we cry it out to God, and sometimes he just seems very silent. What is more troubling was God's response to that. Listen in chapter 1, verse 5, his response. And so Habakkuk, he, he cries out to God, and then he gets this response. Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone 
told you about it. Look around at the nations, be amazed. I am doing something great. We've joked about be careful not to print that on a t-shirt, be careful not to hang that on your wall in your living room, don't put it on a mug unless you read chapter 1 verse 6 and agree with it because the very next verse is uncomfortable. God says, look, I'm going to do something great in your day. And then Habakkuk probably expects, you know what, all this is going on, you're going to restore the economy, you're going to restore this, you're going to bring repentance, revival to the land, but God doesn't say any of that. He says in verse 6, he says, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. His response is so uncomfortable that really we prefer not to read it. We prefer to hang out in verse 5 because then we can just imagine the great things that God wants to do and will do. But verse 6 is uncomfortable because it highlights the fact that we have to follow God with absolute blind faith. What he thinks is great might not seem so great to us at the time. And so this second, uh, uh, this first complaint to God is answered by God with a very uncomfortable reply. Here is how Habakkuk replies. He replies not with follow-up or questions. He replies with another complaint. And I summed it up like this. Here's what I think Habakkuk said, if you just sum it all up. He goes, wait, what? (laughs) You know, wait, that is not what I planned. I wanted revival, and God, you're telling me you're going to send judgment God, we've been crying out to you about this distant country, Babylon, and the Chaldeans that are coming at us. I've, I've, I've complained, I've asked questions, and now you're saying that you brought this up and that you are going to judge the land based on that? And, I, and his complaint was really this. Why are you going to judge this nation with a nation that is way more evil than ours? How can that be? Is that justice, God? And the reply comes from God, and God responds. We talked about this last week, that they will face judgment too. We talked about these five woes or warnings that God gave, and he gave this to the Babylonians. He's he's giving assurance to Habakkuk that fear not, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the people of Babylon, they will be judged. And here's five warnings I give against them. And those five warnings, go back and listen to last week's, they apply to us today, they applied to that day, and, and they are tremendous uh, for us. And so they all apply to us too. But here's what we have. Habakkuk made a complaint, probably not in the right spirit, God responded with a very uncomfortable answer, and then Habakkuk replies and says, really? You know, that is not what I expected. And then Habakkuk in chapter 2, he he gets ready for God, for what God is going to say. Chapter 3 that we're going to look at is a song of Habakkuk that he is going to sing, and he's going to move 100% from doubt to faith. You see that little bit of a shift from his first complaint to his second complaint, but this chapter three, he is gonna shift completely into 
a man of faith. Let me give you real quick, I'd like to call it an application dump from the first two weeks. And so listen to just a few things that I'd like you to hear. And one of these are going to hit you, maybe a couple of them will, but it kind of gives you perspective of where we've been and where we're going. Number one, when God seems silent, he is not absent. We need to remember that. When God seems silent, he is not absent. And then when God seems silent, we should approach him expectantly and patiently. When God seems silent, we should approach him expectantly and patiently. And then uh, we talked about this. Sometimes he does not change our situation because he's trying to change our heart. Sometimes he doesn't change our situation because he's trying to change our heart. I've been sent a lot of different quotes uh, regarding that one and some others. And, and here's one that a friend sent. He, he worded it like this. Sometimes we are asking God to change our situation, not knowing that he put us in that situation to change our hearts. And so very, very much a blind faith type attitude. What I want to do is head into chapter 3, and I want you to hear how God has moved his heart. But remember this, remember this, God promised judgment on the nation, and it came. Okay, so that's what I want to stick in our heads, is that God, God replied very uncomfortably, and he didn't change his mind. He sent judgment. And so what do you do with that? Let's pray before we get into it. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are working. And Father, I pray that if in here right now you seem silent to somebody, Lord, I pray that they would know and understand that you are not absent. Father, if there's someone in here that, that Lord, your response to them has been uncomfortable, and maybe they're waiting for the response that they expected to hear, Father, I pray that they would hear from you that maybe you're trying to change their heart and not rescue them from the situation. Father, help us to understand all that, flesh it all out. And Father, may on the other side this be just a strengthening of our faith. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Chapter 3. Take a look at Habakkuk's response. And so this is different. So again, Habakkuk had two sets of complaints. This is now a faith response to what God has told him. And so, in fact, we're going to see verse 1 says this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. That's important. Uh, he sung this prayer. And so his faith response is this. Look at verse 2. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us, gain, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And so Habakkuk is moving from, or he has moved from doubt to faith. He is a changed man at this point. And if you remember right, he, he was told by God, write this down. And so he wrote it down. And now this is the praise that comes out of Habakkuk. And I want you to notice a few things. First of all, he's being very genuine. He's being very genuine in what he's saying. He's not being fake and he's not pretending like everything is okay. I mean, look at it again. In this time of our deep need, help us again. 
remember your mercy. In your anger, remember. He's being very genuine and not fake. He's being honest. He's admitting that he's hurt. And then all the question marks are gone. He's not asking questions. He's making statements, statements of faith. And, and, and he is full of faith at this point. I, I want to suggest to you that really the epidemic in today's churches is that we have this tendency to walk into church and, and we really do have a different church persona. I'm not saying we're all fake in here. That would be very unfair. But there is a general tendency that when we get in a group, when we walk in even this room and churches across the nation, we as Christ followers, we have this tendency to clean ourselves up and make ourselves appear to have no trouble. And if you can relate with me in that, or maybe become a little bit honest, is that we want to give off this appearance that everything is okay. And rather than, being, rather than it being we are okay in the midst of a trial, we feel like the mark of a, of a solid growing Christian is that all those things are out of our life. Here we are. We are okay. We've come to worship our Lord. And that is not genuine. In fact, it communicates the very wrong thing to people who would come and want to hear about Christ. The most encouraging thing we can do is to be genuine and honest about the trials we have either been in or are going through right now and and allow people to see that, that God is our God and God is a good God in the midst of what we are going through. And that's what Habakkuk has done. In, in this last prayer, this last song, he, he gives genuine humility. He's not fake. And he wants everybody to see, yes, the trouble he went through. He didn't go back and erase chapter one and chapter two and hide the fact that he questioned God so much. In fact, he put that in there so that we could see today where he came from to come to a place of praise. And as Christ followers in here, if you're a Christ follower today, we need to be genuine about the struggles that we go through. And so he's moving from that place, and that's where we need to be. So Habakkuk here is meant to be a baton of faith. In fact, if you would think, it's a runner passing a baton of faith that he would pass on to the next group. And so here we are. We are a church of every generation. Our goal would be that one generation would help the other. Uh, You have an opportunity because you go to Magnolia's first that you could mingle with people in a generation that is totally different than yours, younger and or older, but, but that would allow you to see what all sorts of people groups have gone through and then hear their stories and learn. Honestly, being a part of this church, I've been able to connect with people in generations two and three above mine. Just a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a woman who literally had polio. I thought that was in the 1200s. You know, I mean, I thought that was gone. But, but she had polio. As, as a child, she had surgery on her back, and she still deals with the effects of polio. And, and it was fascinating talking to her about the encouragement that she said, even though she still deals with the issue of polio. 
I've had the opportunity to meet a woman, and uh, some of you know her, Celeste Graves. She's well-known in our community. I'm pretty sure our town will eventually be named after her. Some buildings in the school district already are. But she went through the Great Depression. And when you talk with her, as a child through the Great Depression, she didn't come out as this person who was destitute and everything is the end. She, she has such a positive view on how God sustained her through that. It's an incredible story. And then you, you look at people that have gone through all sorts of issues in their life. In fact, I, I will be completely honest. When, when I started on week one, I never considered making eye contact with people in this room that have gone through things that I cannot even imagine. And truthfully, it became a little uncomfortable. But then, you know, here I am. Now I'm trying to avoid eye contact because just as, as one of the pastors here, we know a lot of people's stories. And, and let me tell you what, there are stories in here that, that people have gone through that, that I pray me or my family would never have to experience. And so here I am, and I'll make that eye contact. But then I noticed those people, they're agreeing with me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, this is uncomfortable stuff. But the reality is the Christ followers who have gone through an egregious time in their life, on the other side, and sometimes in the very midst of it, prayerfully in the very midst of it, they provide so much encouragement and faith to other people that even while I'm speaking this uncomfortable truth of Habakkuk, I'm encouraged because I see their blind faith in God that God is going to do something in life either in the midst of it or on the other side of it that we just can't even believe, we can't even imagine. Have you considered what the stories will be told from the Christ followers in, uh, in Ukraine? Can you imagine what they are going. I, I wonder what's happening in their churches this morning that are still standing. What are they preaching about? If I were up there, I'd be preaching on Habakkuk. But think of what we will learn from those stories on those, those Christ followers on the other side. I wonder what they will tell their grandchildren. I wonder what they will tell their great-grandchildren of what they lived through. They will probably, hopefully not, but even have to describe what the word Ukraine means in generations that might have completely lost, except in history books. Then, then I started thinking, feeling sorry for them, what about the Christ followers in Russia? How confusing and hard that must be. I don't know about you, but I carry a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it's shame or just angst, or it, it's like, I want to be doing more, I don't know what to do, you know, but... But what can I do for those people? And in reality, there is not much that I can do. And, and I struggle with that. What about the Christ followers who are in Russia that know the whole story and see what's going? What I'm saying is, number one, we are in a day that is not new to God. We are in a time that is not new to God. If America is your battle cry of what's going on right now, hop into the life of a different person in a different country that's under attack right now. Because you see, all of our stories right now, all of our complaints to God right now can match up. God, where are you? I'm surrounded by violent people. 
God, why are you judging us from nations who are way more evil than us? God, I'm surrounded in a world where the law seems to be void. And there's all different levels of that. But we look at Habakkuk, and Habakkuk shares this story openly and honestly, and then he moves into a time of praise. And so what we have is this baton of faith that is being passed from generation to generation. Before I explain why I think it's a baton of faith, let me ask you a question. In your times of trouble, in your times of trouble, who are you listening to and who are you watching? When things are getting dark in your life and you're crying out to God, what other people in your life are you looking to for comfort? And and then even more than that, in your time of trouble, who's watching you? Who's seeing your actions and maybe emulating that in their life? Who are you accidentally teaching how to be a Christ follower in the moment of your trial? As a baton of faith, Habakkuk is intended for you to go before others and live how God told us to live. And he says, the righteous will live by faith. That's what Habakkuk learned. That was God's response. And now Habakkuk wants to pass that along. There's three scriptures that tell me that, first of all, this is a baton of faith. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, and then verse 19, and then back in chapter 2, verse 2. Turn with you, if you will, with me, those, and circle these. I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I'm looking at the New American Standard version for these. When I want to dig down into words and things like that, I typically go to New American Standard because it is a word-for-word translation, and it will leave a word in there that seemingly makes no sense, just like this, Habakkuk 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. And so you might ask, who on earth is Shigianoth? Because that's my first question. When you dig down into that word Shigianoth, you find out it's not a person at all. In fact, it is a type of song. It is a type of lyric in a song. Truthfully, we do not understand the full definition. That word has been lost in the generations and generations to come. But by context, we know it's always related to a song, and and it's a type of song that would move in emotion. And so it would maybe start slow in sadness and end on a high note, uh, very much like some of our our hymns do, and, and, and songs that you would pass down from generation to generation that give truth. And so that's what this is. Is. As a Shigianoth, it, it is a song that starts in perhaps some sadness, but then relays a truth and the praise of the truth. And then in verse 19, very simply, it just gives musical instructions. It's Habakkuk saying, this is for the choir director on stringed instruments. And so it's a song. It's meant to be sung. In fact, there's instructions on how to sing it. And then there's also a context of what type of song it is, is that it's going to have high emotion, it's going to move, it's going to go from a slow pace to a high pace. And then go to chapter 2, verse 2, and this is the most telling of all. And we skipped this one 
in the last couple of weeks. I've read over it and, uh, and just intentionally tried to kind of leave it out so we didn't think about it. But listen to what it says. It says, then the Lord answered me and said. Now remember, Habakkuk has gone. He went to gain perspective. He climbed up and, and wanted to hear what God had to say. And the Lord said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. I want you to think about that verse. Chapter 3 is what's going to be mainly inscribed. That's the song. And he says, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Not one tablet to remember it, not even two tablets, multiple tablets. Write it down. Get this out on tablets. Put it on paper. Put it down. Email it to everybody. Get it going. And then he says this, so that the one who reads it may run. That's a little confusing. Are they going to read the tablet, drop it, and run? That doesn't make any sense. But if you look in some translations, it says the runner. When, 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 in the Hebrew, when it says the one who reads it may run, a runner is referred to, and in this language, as a courier. And so they're going to go and share what they have written down and pass it on. And so what we have learned is that this is a song, it's to be written down, it's to be sung, it's to be sung over and over and over again so that people may learn, and then the one who reads it, make it easy on them because they are going to take it, run, and share it with everyone. In fact, it's going to make it to generations past this one. And so Habakkuk is, it's a baton of faith. Let me read you the climax of the song. Uh, Turn back to chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Uh, At this point in the song, if if we knew the tune, we don't know the tune, but if we knew it, at this point, the volume would be increasing and the tempo would be moving up. It would be getting faster. And you can think of songs like this that are hymns or spirituals and things like that that proclaim that truth. But listen to what it says. Again, the volume's up, the tempo is high, and it says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. And if you've caught it, this is a description of their current circumstance. It's a description of their economy. The flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Even though all of that, verse 18 says this. And I want you to read it with me because it's exciting. Even though, verse 18 says, say it with me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Read it with me again. Even though, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That is Habakkuk's song. Even though... Fill in the blank. I will. That is a blind faith. And you know, we've heard this before. Even, even like the, the, the verse where, where it talks about the righteous shall live by faith. We know that, that Paul quoted that in Romans. He quoted it in other books. It's picked up as a theme in Scripture going all the way back to Habakkuk's day in this time where they're told they're going to be judged. And, and then 
we see it in themes in the Old Testament as well. But I, I want to fast forward to one story in Scripture to where we hear that theme. And I believe that came straight out of the runner carrying the story, the song of Habakkuk, out to generation after generation after generation. Here we are in the book of Daniel. When you read the book of Daniel, the, uh, the, the nation is now in captivity Guess who they're in captivity to? The Babylonians, the people, the Chaldeans. And so now they're in this captivity, and guess what? It is all verse 6 that God says, I am raising up a nation that will march across the lands. Well, now here we are. It has happened, and we've got Daniel telling his story. And do you remember his three friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you've been in church and vacation Bible school, surely you've seen it, okay? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are now facing a king who has part of the captivity here, and he wants those three guys to bow to him instead of continuing to bow to God. In fact, he wants all the people of God to bow to him. He's tired of these people who are in captivity that would keep bowing to their own God. He says, you are in my nation now. You are going to bow to me. And so he melts down some gold. He builds an idol, sets the idols up, and says, if you don't bow to this idol, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Maybe the story is getting more familiar. And so the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he makes one more plea. He makes one more plea and says this, if you don't bow down right now to basically me, he's saying my gods, the idol I've created, then I am going to throw you in the fiery furnace and that's the end of you. Look at the verse that follows. This is the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. This is bold. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Does that sound familiar? Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be thankful. I think they are singing Habakkuk's song. I believe they have known the song, they have sung the song, and now they are repeating that truth of that song, the story of Habakkuk, back to the king. Because I guarantee you, in that day, verse 5 followed quickly with verse 6, and that judgment would be coming. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Nebuchadnezzar, the God whom I serve, is able to save me. But even if he doesn't, I will rejoice. Our friends, if you remember the story, they're thrown in the, in the furnace. They're not, they're not 
saved from their circumstances. They're not brought out of the fire. They have to go through it. And so take a look all the way down in the chapter at verses 23 through 25. It says, the three were securely tied and thrown into the roaring flames. Actually says they fell, and I think that means they were pushed. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors. Nebuchadnezzar threw these guys in the fire because they did not bow down. These guys told him, we won't bow to you, and, and our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will still rejoice in our own God. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Some translations say the fourth looked like the son of God. Interesting. Everything Habakkuk has taught us, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, individuals in a nation that fell into the captivity that was prophesied in verse 6, they're now called to the line. They're in the Fire, you know, the fiery furnace of a trial, no pun intended, and, and they refused to do what the king asked them to do, and that was to worship another god. And so they end up in the fire. And I would say that moment that they fell into the fire was probably pretty alarming in that if they are like me, I would have thought I would have never got my feet in the fire. <laughs> you know, I would have thought I have proclaimed that my God is my God. Even if he doesn't, I will. But yet they still went into the fire. But here's the thing. They, they were shackled when they went in, but somehow their shackles were released. They were unharmed by the flames, but yet they were in the very situation where they were. And this is the best part. Remember what I said about God when he seems silent? He's never absent. In the midst of all that, God was right there with them as the fourth man in the fire. We want God to deliver us from the fire, but many times he delivers us through the fire. Here's my final thought. Maybe verse 6 isn't all that bad. Maybe verse 6 is actually... Okay. Early on, first week, I told you, if you have one of those plaques up on your wall, if you have the t-shirt that says God is doing something great in your day, I told you to go ahead and keep it. It's okay. But here's what I want you to think about. I hope you have one, and I beg you to keep it on the wall. But now what I want you to consider that maybe verse 6 isn't all that bad. Maybe that's the real testimony of what God is doing in your life. And so when someone asks you about that plaque on your wall, that picture on your wall, that t-shirt you wear, then you be ready to tell them, hey, what's God doing so great in your life? Let me tell you about a story in my life when God had me go through some amazing things, but it didn't seem so amazing at the time. But God was with me through the whole thing. God never left my side. God was there. God was for me. He wasn't against me. 
I think verse six is how we will be amazed. We'll be amazed at how much stuff we actually have to go through, but then furthermore, we are going to be amazed how good God is in the midst of it all. And I want to go back to that question, who are you listening to or who are you watching? Um, If you're listening to people that are telling you that everything's going to be all right, you know, this too shall pass. I've said that a lot. Everything is going to return back to normal. There is just a sheer reality in Scripture, and Habakkuk makes it very clear, that honestly, that is not always true. Might be, but it's not always true. Everything might not return to normal. Everything might not get back to what it was. But what Scripture does promise is that God wants to use it for your good. In reality, the promise in Scripture is really the opposite, that it kind of says bad things are going to happen. But he's not silent, and he's not absent. If you confuse silence for absence, you've missed it. But as a Christ follower, you got to be okay with this. And so I ask you that. If the reality is is that God might not rescue you from the situation, are you okay with that? I had the opportunity to go to lunch one time with two guys, both with severe addictions to uh, alcohol and heavy drugs, and I took them both to lunch. They didn't know each other. The reason I took them to lunch is because one was completely redeemed from alcohol and, and, and the heavy drugs immediately, like overnight. The other one dealt with it for years and years and years, affected his family, affected his marriage, everything. On the other side, he was restored to marriage, he was restored to family and all that. But he went through this 10-year process where the other guy, it was instant. And so I just wanted to go to lunch and ask him questions. I thought I would come away with this great revelation. I hate to tell you, I did not. Other than God is going to do what he wants to do in your life whatever it takes to draw your heart to him. The conversation was fascinating because neither one had a, uh, you know, the one who was, was taking away the addictions immediately had nothing bad to say about the other guy. In fact, the other guy who took years and years and years, he didn't even envy the guy that it was overnight. Why? Because he was on the other side of the process And he saw the purpose in the season of difficulty. It was fascinating. My takeaway from that lunch was that, you know what? God is going to do whatever it is for me, regardless of what I think the answer should be. But he's going to do that for me so that I will be a better person, better for him, and closer to him. He's going to change my heart, not my situation. A couple more tough questions, and we're done. What is your song through your trials? If this is Habakkuk's song, what is your song? And then I ask this. Who hears and then later sings your song? It's a scary thought. I told you at the very front, I can see a lot of myself in my son. And, and you know what? He often sings my song. Hear me clearly. Not songs of praises to his dad because his dad is so great. He sings the same song I will sing oftentimes when I have gone through a trial. 
I can see my own anger swell up in him. I can see my own response to a fiery furnace in him. And he actually handles it way better than I do. But it is a harsh reminder that I am being watched and someone is going to sing your song. Take this baton of faith. Take this baton of faith and let that be your song. Whoever is hearing and later sings your song, know this. You're preparing them for their own fiery trial. And we're not just talking about kids. We're not talking about sons and daughters. We're talking about neighbors. We're talking about family members. We're talking about friends. People are watching us and how we handle our own situation might be how they handle theirs. Would you stand with me? And we're going to close in a time of uh, prayer. Pastor Ed's going to come up. And, uh, and, and as we uh, just kind of reflect, I want to read one passage of Scripture over you. It's in Isaiah chapter 43. And if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to hear this passage and, and listen to the encouragement that it gives when you're going through a struggle. Isaiah 43 verses 1 and 2. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says this. Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. I want you to listen to this next verse as if God is speaking directly to you. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. 